Hello everyone, my name's Steph, I'm one of the pastors here, if you're new to the church. I'm going to be preaching for the next five weeks on the subject of grace. Now, grace is probably the, the word that's used the most in the New Testament to describe the way that God has moved towards us in love by giving us his only son, Jesus. That Grace is the word that is used most commonly to sum up uh, the way that God has treated us um, undeserving sinners. And we're going to look at that today. So it's going to be good. Um, as bizarre as that might sound, um, when you get to understand who you are before God by nature, and then you begin to experience his love for you, it's overwhelming. And, and, and all the bizarre, deceptive, defensive ideas we create to make ourselves feel better about ourselves can just come down. <laughs> and we can come as we truly are, without any pretense, and find not judgment, but mercy. It's extraordinary. Now, the way we're going to do it is... Uh, there's three letters in the New Testament. One's called 1 Timothy, then 2 Timothy, and then Titus. And they're called the pastoral epistles. That's what they're commonly known as. The reason why they're called um, the pastoral epistles is because the general idea is that Paul is writing to Timothy twice and to Titus once. And Timothy is in a place called Ephesus and Titus is in Crete. And what they're doing is, is that they are there on Paul's behalf. And their job really is to look after the churches in those places um, and look to help raise up local leadership, local elders, local pastors that can then look after those churches. And so Paul is writing to them, giving them instructions about how church life should run. And so it's really a helpful book um, for those of us who are in church leadership in terms of understanding how church should work. So they're known as the pastoral epistles. Now, if you look through them, you'll find that the word grace is in all of the greetings because that was quite a common way of greeting in those days. But as you read through the letters, you'll find five times um, Paul says something very specific about grace. We're going to look at one of those each week. So today we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 12 to 17. should come up on the screen. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for these amazing words. I pray that you'd help me um, to articulate them in a way that honours you. I pray you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit for this task now in this moment. And I pray, Lord, for all those that are listening, that, Lord, as we were praying earlier before the service, Lord, I pray that people would feel that they're the only ones in the room. People would feel, Lord, that you've got them here and that you want, you're going to speak to them by your spirit. Pray, Lord, for people to be arrested in a deep way by the truth of the gospel, um, by your grace, Lord. Thank you for the, the wonders of your grace. And it's like opening the window and letting the air come in when we think about your grace. We pray that will be the case in this room in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to just give a few points. The first point, 
Paul says, um, formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Paul had a past. The man who wrote, probably proportionately, you could, might argue most of the New Testament, had a past. He wasn't always this Jesus-loving saint, not by a long way. In fact, he's had a very complex past like most of us do. We've all got the headline of our stories, haven't we? If I said something about your life, you give me your headlines. As we get to know each other, we realise it's often more complex than that. That, oh, well, yeah, that was true. It wasn't that it wasn't true, but also this was happening at the same time. And not many people know this, but this was also true of me. And there's these little strands that come together. Our lives are very, very complex. Paul's life in some ways was quite complex because you might think, what was Paul like before he was a Christian? I bet he was a, as a God hater. Actually, no, in his own mind, he was a God lover. He was a very, very religious, zealous man for God. In fact, when he was punishing Christians, he was doing it, as far as he was concerned, in the cause of God. He thought he was serving God. So he was a very, very religious man. It wasn't that he was saved from being a pagan to being now in, into, into the one and only God. No, he thought he was serving the one and only God. And this Jesus of Nazareth, this imposter, who's a blasphemer of the true God, we're going to deal with his followers and crush this thing because it's blasphemous. So he was a, he was a religious man. Um, but he was also a very stubborn man. He was a volcanic man. His temperament was volcanic. He was aggressive. He was single-minded. He was very, very focused. So temperament comes into our past and obviously our present and who we are, doesn't it, as well? So he's got his beliefs, but he's also got his temperament. He's a born leader. He's a brilliant student, highly intelligent man, way beyond his peers in terms of his studies. He was legalistically a blameless man. He was so fastidious in his keeping of the Jewish law that he could describe himself when looking back on his former life as, as regarding the law blameless. Incredible, incredibly intimidating man in many, many ways. But he had a past and then Jesus broke him. We'll look at that in a moment. But I want you to understand he had a past. He had a past that could have made him feel in some ways proud at how intelligent and impressive he was. In other ways, shameful because he now belongs to the faith that he tried to destroy. I'm sure that when he's ministering in the churches now, there will be people there who are related to people who are now dead because of what he did before he was a believer. Imagine that. Hi, Paul. My name's Demas. Oh, hi, Demas. Yeah, I'm the cousin of, oh, I don't know that person. No, no, no. He died in the Jewish persecution. Oh, what year? That year. Okay. That was the year I was looking after it. That, so the point is this. We all have a past and we all bring things into the Christian faith that could potentially make us feel proud and make us feel ashamed. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. Your, the sto your story and its details are peculiar to you, but the fact that you have a story is nothing new. And it's so important that when we come to Christ and we come into the family of Christ and we get to know what it is to be a Christian, that we're not that we're not keeping whole, whole swathes of who we were and what, what we were about out of that and hidden in some shame-filled closet, but that as God in Christ has forgiven us, we are in a kind of humble way, and yet we are to expect the people of God to welcome us as God has welcomed us. Because the people of God are to recognise that they themselves will have a story. We've all got things, haven't we? You think, gosh... Okay, if I have to, I'll tell you, but it does make me a bit ashamed. We've all got a past. You know, it, it, but sometimes I say, I really wish we were like the early church. You know, they, they were perfect. They, they, 
they, were, they really weren't. I mean, wow. We look great compared to them. But they, had, they all had a past. Listen to the way that Paul talks about the Corinthians. He says, he says, don't you know that the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you're thinking, what hope is there for me? But he says this, and such were some of you. It's what you were. This is what you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's what the church is. Bunch of people with stories, right? Maybe dramatic, maybe not so. But we've all got a story. We've all got a past. And then he goes on, Paul, in this passage to, the, to Timothy, and he says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, I want to say a few things about this. It's an interesting phrase. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, it can sound a little bit like, how can I put it? God winked at Paul's sin because he was ignorant. God was like, ah, do you know what? You don't know what you're doing. It's fine. It, it can come across like that. Paul saying, well, the reason why God has had mercy on me is because I was ignorant. But actually, that doesn't work because to have mercy on someone means that you are not treating them as they deserve. So the fact that, that, that Paul received mercy shows that actually God was highly agitated with the way Paul was living. God wasn't like, you know what, you're ignorant, so it's cool. No, 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 no. But God did show him mercy. It's like when Jesus is on the cross. What does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. What did he say next? They don't know what they're doing. Now, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, this ignorance. The Bible says that we're kind of born with this ignorance as a result of unbelief. And God will hold us to account for it. It's not like suddenly, well, I was ignorant, so it's fine. No, no, no. The Bible is clear that we will be held to account for what we do in the body, good or bad. But actually, there is a mercy that comes from God because he understands we are blind. We are blind. And so God, even in our stubborn unbelief, God will hold out mercy in Jesus because he recognizes you don't know what you're doing. You think you do. All around the cross. Casting lots for his clothes, mocking him, thinking that they were, they were on the right side, thinking they were the guys with the upper hand. They're not the ones being crucified, full of talk. Jesus says, you don't know what you're doing. You're so ignorant. You're so ignorant. There is an ignorance about unbelief that is not excusable, but God will show mercy if you come to him. I was flicking through um, Dawkins' work, uh, The God Delusion, just the other week. Just I've not really read it in detail. I thought I'd have a... Have a look, have a read. I just wanted to read some of the things he was saying. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist. And um, of course, those guys would say they would put together ignorance and faith, wouldn't they? We put, the world puts together ignorance and unbelief. They're the opposite. It's like ignorance and faith. And they, you can feel their frustration with us when you read the book. And to be honest, some of the things I say about Christians, you think, yeah, I'm with you. you know? I, I'm, I, there's no excuse for that. That was ridiculous. So absolutely. But then also you can just feel their frustration at this sense that, uh, you know, that we, that we could possibly believe in God. The Bible p p puts together ignorance and unbelief. And as I was reading the book, more and more, I just found myself thinking, I'm reading the words of someone who is, who is lacking, how, how can I describe it, as a significant, a significant faculty. 
And as a result, he's speaking very articulately and very confidently, but they're speaking from a place where, where there's a faculty missing. There's this spiritual blindness. And it's like, well, of course you're saying that. You can't see it. You can't see it. And I, I say this humbly, you know, I'm only standing here because God's had mercy on me. There's nothing special about me at all. But you think, oh, golly, I, I used to be like that. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. I could never have stood up here and talked about Jesus. I didn't see it. And he opened my eyes. And you know what? He didn't take anything away from me. He just added to me. He, he, I, was, I was awoken from that spiritual stupor. Now I can see. And we've got, to probably, we've got to probably get clear in our minds on this and that God looks on unbelief as ignorant. That it comes from such a blind spot. It comes from such a place of, of uh, disadvantage. Disadvantage. And like Jesus, we are to pray for those who don't know and who don't believe. We're not to look down dismissively. We're not to judge. We're not to be harsh. We are to pray, God, like you have mercy on me, have mercy on Richard Dawkins. I mean, wouldn't it be incredible? This guy has publicly paid people online to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's not clever. God have mercy. God have mercy. So there's this mercy that comes to us and to Paul in our ignorance. But then listen to this. Here it comes now. Listen, here it is. The grace of the Lord, our Lord, overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This is one of Paul's favourite ways of talking about grace. He uses different Greek words to describe this idea of overflow, abundance, more than what is necessary. This is the grace of God. It's more than what is necessary. It's not like you've sinned that much. Okay, well, okay, all right then. Fine, we'll give you that much grace because that just about meets that. No, the grace of God goes whoosh. It It overtakes, it goes above and beyond. I mean, this man was stubborn. He was aggressive. He was proud. He was single-minded. He hated Christ. You think, well, why? what's he doing writing about Jesus? Grace came. Grace came. Grace came and everything changed. The grace of our Lord overflowed. There was that day he's on his way to Damascus and Jesus says, it's time. Boom. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Grace came. And suddenly this man who went to Damascus to destroy the Christians is in Damascus not eating or drinking for three days, praying and waiting. And then God takes the scales from his eyes and he's baptised in water and filled with the Spirit. And then he's preaching the gospel in Damascus. What happened there? Grace came. Brothers and sisters, this is what gospel grace does. It breaks into our lives and it overcomes. Romans 5 verse 20, therefore where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. It goes above and beyond the darkness. Mountains get leveled. The valleys get raised up. The cricket gets made straight. God says, I'm coming into your life. That's what he does. This is the super abounding grace of God. We are elected. We are chosen. We are favoured. We are rescued from petty self-worship and worship of unworthy things by the grace of God. You've got to know this. You've got to understand this. Whether you got saved in an undramatic way, age three, sitting on your bed with your mum, or whether you were 33 and tearing the world up and Jesus broke in it was the grace of God and it's broken into your life it's undeserved favour and it comes into overflow and wash through everything this is what we are this is how grace works and then here's the point this really gets to the nub now here's a trustworthy saying Paul says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. A trustworthy saying, a saying worth remembering. Jesus himself said it. I've not come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. We forget it so easily. It's frightening. Once you've known Jesus for a while, how this bizarre root of self-righteousness can creep into your life. Oh, because I don't do that stuff anymore. And we somehow start, we can start thinking that somehow we are commended in and of ourselves. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners. That's who he came to save. You know, if you're self-righteous, Jesus doesn't know what to do with you. He's out. He's got nothing. He's out of ideas. Oh, self-righteous. I, I can't save that person. Jesus, if you're self-righteous, Jesus can't rescue you. If you're clinging to some sense that you're better than others, some sense you're not quite as bad as that person, some sense, well, yeah, I might have done that, but I'm not a paedophile. Jesus can't do anything with you. Jesus, well, because well, you're clearly not a sinner. You clearly don't consider yourself to be a sinner. You consider yourself in some way better than other categories of people. Jesus didn't come to save those people. He came to save sinners. He came to save rotters. He came to save wretches. Paul says, of whom I'm the foremost. I've got beef with Paul over that. I think I know another one. We can all say it because we know ourselves. The Holy Spirit helps you know yourself. You see yourself for how you are. It's frightening, isn't it? It's frightening. Are you lost without Jesus? If so, you're in the right place. If so, you're in the right room. If, if you know Jesus and you're lost without Jesus, you're in the right room. If you don't know him yet, but you're, you, you recognize, I don't, know what, I don't know how to get saved. I don't, I don't know how to save myself. I don't know how to get eternal life. I need Jesus. You're in the right room because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's not that we're proud of our sin. We're ashamed of our sin. It's not that we go into some weird, bizarre kind of, oh, yeah, aren't I awful? No, we don't do that. But we recognize that is who I am. Sin got into me. So I was born with it. Pervaded every part of me. It's not that I couldn't do anything good. It's not that the image of God still wasn't evident in me in some way. But sin had pervaded every part of me. I was a sinner. I was a sinner. Now he makes us saints, doesn't he? See, we live in this, we live in this extraordinary reality that he comes in. He makes into a new creation. He makes us saints. We're not who we are anymore. But a true saint always remembers where they've come from. A true saint always knows who they are without Christ. And it, it, it leads us to be compassionate. It leads us to, be, to, to look upon others and see ourselves even in the worst. Say, so, you know, I can see a bit of myself in there. That's what it does. We don't adopt that awful mindset of kind of, I don't know, categorizing and we're, we're in this no we're, 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 by God's grace we're saints but we remember what he brought us out of we must we must this is Christianity this is what it is it's not this is not a club for the self-righteous it really isn't it mustn't it mustn't it mustn't ever become anything like that amen amen, amen. and then getting near the end now he says, I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him. Paul says, people can look at my life, they can hear where I've come from, and they can look and say, wow, isn't Jesus perfectly patient? So they get a view of the grace of Christ when they look at Paul. They see there's an attribute of grace, which is patience. Wow. 
Paul did all of that and then Jesus came to him and saved him? But, but, but why didn't Jesus strike him dead before that moment? He must be so patient. He must be perfectly patient. And now look, he's not only that, he's made him into a leader in the church for goodness sake. I mean, if you're going to save someone like that, don't make him prominent. <laughs> don't do that. Tuck him away. He, he's writing scriptures. He's an apostle. Why is that? Paul says, from my mother's womb, he sent me apart as an apostle. But what about during those years, the, the years of violence, the years, what's going on there? What, Jesus, why don't you kill that man? Because from his mother's womb, I have set him apart as an apostle and my purpose won't be thwarted and my patience will endure. Whoa, you go, wow. Look, look at that patience. Look at that. Look at the grace of God. It can't, it won't be stopped. And we might all ask questions and say, I don't understand the details of that. But you go, wow, isn't Jesus amazing? Maybe for you, it's the power of the grace of God that's rescued you from depression and brought you to a place of joy. People look on and say, wow, you were like that. No, like, this grace must be powerful. Jesus' grace must be really powerful. Or maybe, maybe that you were. Just so out of reach, so far out of, so far in the darkness. But the reach of grace got you. People say, wow, look, look at the reach of Jesus' grace. Maybe you were just so dull, so boring, so boring. And, and, and the wonder of his grace has brought colour into your life. And people who knew you go, wow. You were so dull. <laughs> now look at you. It's colour. Maybe you were just so burnt out. You were like gutted. You were like, you're like a burnt out building. You just, just this, just destroyed by life and the things that, that go on. And, uh, and yet the, the riches of his grace has brought beauty into your life. And you've been furnished with the beauty of Christ now. People can say, Wow. What? Look at that. It's incredible. Look at the, the riches of his grace. The point is this. Your story is for others. Your story is for others to say, isn't Jesus amazing? Okay? It's not, to be, it's not just for you. It's not just, it can't just be for you. Okay? You might think, I don't know how to talk about evolution and the hard questions and, and this and that. And I can't. And the way that you can tell your story. You can say, I was like that. And Jesus came. And now look what he's doing can do that that's what it's for in fact Paul says I receive mercy for this reason Paul's actually big enough to consider the fact actually actually my salvation ultimately is not even about me so that people I might be an example so people can go wow look at the patience of your salvation is not about you it's about Jesus so people can see your life and say I want to know this Jesus we make it about ourselves so quickly, don't we? We get consumed with ourselves. It's about him. So we can be a display, a display for him. So we must share our story and never grow out of that. And all of this leads us to the inevitable praise, which we're going to do in just a moment. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. It's so right that we praise him. So right that we sing. It's, you know, it's great to get up and preach and have a slightly hoarse voice because the praise was so robust. It's so appropriate. 
Bible says, go and be filled with the Holy Spirit and, 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 and give thanks and sing songs in, in, in a way that is in accordance with who he is and what he's done and what he's worth with your whole heart. With your whole heart. And, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate, I guess, to end this sermon without, without saying, oh, is anyone here who doesn't know this Jesus? You might know church, but you don't know him. You might, you might not be able to say, hand on heart, I'm born again. You've never known. You've never known the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You've never, you've never drawn that line in the sand and said, I'm going to be a disciple. But you've heard about Jesus today in the songs and in the sermon. And maybe you just even sense in his presence here and you want to know him. Well, you know what? Because of the cross, you can. It's kind of, it's, it's a strange thing, this salvation. It's impossible. It's impossible. You can't get saved. But then Jesus died on a cross for you and opened the way so wide that in a sense now, it's gone from being impossible to being very straightforward. How did it go from that to that? Surely it can't just be complicated. That would feel more rational. Give me something complicated to do. No, it's impossible. It's impossible. But Jesus has made a way. Come to him. Lay down your burden of sin. Come to him. Submit to him. Make him Lord of your life. I tell you what, he will resurrect you. You'll be able to sing. You'll be able to, I remember the first time I went to a church after I was born again. I was brought up in church. I remember this story. I was brought up in church. I knew the songs. Then I got born again. And I went to a church service. And we were singing that song. For there is no other name that is higher than Jesus. And I'm standing there. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, yeah, there isn't, is there? And the Spirit of God who now lives inside of me is going, amen. And it all makes sense now. And I think, oh, I want to do this some more. I want to sing some more. When you're born again, it makes sense. It makes sense. So come to Jesus. You can come to me. I'll pray with you. But it's about you coming to Jesus. Call on his name from the bottom of your heart. He'll rescue you. Then come and talk to me. We can pray and high five and stuff. But get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. He'll rescue you. And uh, we're going to stand now, uh, band, if you'd be able to come and help us with the